Chapters 41 through 53 of the Anchoridian. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Anchoridian by Epictetus. Translated by Percy Matheson. Chapter 41. It is a sign of a dull mind to dwell upon the cares of the body, to prolong exercise, eating, drinking, and other bodily functions. These things are to be done by the way. All your attention must be given to the mind. Chapter 42. When a man speaks evil or does evil to you, remember that he does or says it because he thinks it is fitting for him. It is not possible for him to follow what seems good to you, but only what seems good to him, so that, if his opinion is wrong, he suffers, in that he is the victim of deception. In the same way, if a composite judgment which is true is thought to be false, it is not the judgment that suffers, but the man who is deluded about it. If you act on this principle, you will be gentle to him who reviles you, saying to yourself on each occasion, he thought it right. Chapter 43. Everything has two handles, one by which you can carry it, the other by which you cannot. If your brother wrongs you, do not take it by that handle, the handle of his wrong, for you cannot carry it by that, but rather by the other handle, that he is a brother, brought up with you, and then you will take it by the handle that you can carry by. Chapter 44. It is illogical to reason thus. I am richer than you, therefore I am superior to you. I am more eloquent than you, therefore I am superior to you. It is more logical to reason... I am richer than you, therefore my property is superior to yours. I am more eloquent than you, therefore my speech is superior to yours. You are something more than property or speech. Chapter 45 If a man wash quickly, do not say that he washes badly, but that he washes quickly. If a man drank much wine, do not say that he drinks badly, but that he drinks much. For till you have decided what judgment prompts him, how do you know that he acts badly? If you do as I say, you will assent to your apprehensive impressions and to none other. Chapter 46 On no occasion call yourself a philosopher, nor talk at large of your principles among the multitude, but act on your principles. For instance, at a banquet, do not say how one ought to eat, but eat as you ought. Remember that Socrates had so completely got rid of the thought of display, that when men came and wanted an introduction to philosophers, he took them to be introduced. So patient of neglect was he. And if a discussion arise among the multitude on some principle, keep silent for the most part, for you are in great danger of blurting out some undigested thought. And when someone says to you, you know nothing, and you do not let it provoke you, then know that you are really on the right road. For sheep do not bring grass to their shepherds and show them how much they have eaten, but they digest their fodder and then produce it in the form of wool and milk. Do the same yourself. Instead of displaying your principles to the multitude, show them the results of the principles you have digested. Chapter 47 When you have adopted the simple life, do not pride yourself upon it, and if you are a water drinker, do not say on every occasion, I am a water drinker. And if you ever want to train laboriously, 
Keep it to yourself, and do not make a show of it. Do not embrace statues. If you are very thirsty, take a good draught of cold water, and rinse your mouth, and tell no one. Chapter 48 The ignorant man's position and character is this. He never looks to himself for benefit or harm, but to the world outside him. The philosopher's position and character is that he always looks to himself for benefit and harm. The signs of one who is making progress are, he blames none, praises none, complains of none, accuses none, never speaks of himself as if he were somebody, or as if he knew anything. And if anyone compliments him, he laughs in himself at his compliment. And if one blames him, he makes no defense. He goes about like a convalescent, careful not to disturb his constitution on its road to recovery until it has got firm hold. He has got rid of the will to get, and his will to avoid is directed no longer to what is beyond our power, but only to what is in our power and contrary to nature. In all things, he exercises his will without strain. If men regard him as foolish or ignorant, he pays no heed. In one word, he keeps watching guard on himself as his own enemy, lying in wait for him. Chapter 49 When a man prides himself on being able to understand and interpret the books of Chrysippus, say to yourself, If Chrysippus had not written obscurely, this man would have had nothing on which to pride himself. What is my object? To understand nature and follow her. I look then for someone who interprets her, and having heard that Chrysippus does, I come to him. But I do not understand his writings, so I seek an interpreter. So far there is nothing to be proud of. But when I have found the interpreter, it remains for me to act on his precepts. That and that alone is the thing to be proud of. But if I admire the mere power of exposition, it comes to this, that I am turned into a grammarian instead of a philosopher, except that I interpret Chrysippus in place of Homer. Therefore, when someone says to me, read me Chrysippus, when I cannot point to actions which are in harmony and correspondence with his teaching, I am rather inclined to blush. Chapter 50 Whatever principles you put before you, hold fast to them as laws which it will be impious to transgress. But pay no heed to what anyone says of you, for this is something beyond your own control. Chapter 51 How long will you wait to think yourself worthy of the highest, and transgress in nothing the clear pronouncement of reason? You have received the precepts which you ought to accept, and you have accepted them. Why then do you still wait for a master, that you may delay the amendment of yourself till he comes? You are a youth no longer. You are now a full-grown man. If now you are careless and indolent and are always putting off, fixing one day after another as the limit when you mean to begin attending to yourself, then, living or dying, you will make no progress, but will continue unawares in ignorance. Therefore, make up your mind before it is too late to live as one who is mature and proficient, and let all that seems best to you be a law that you cannot transgress. And if you encounter anything troublesome, or pleasant, or glorious, or inglorious, remember that the hour of struggle is come, the Olympic contest is here, and you may put off no longer, and that one day and one action determines whether the progress you have achieved is lost or maintained. This was how Socrates attained perfection, paying heed to nothing but reason, 
in all that he encountered. And if you are not yet Socrates, yet ought you to live as one who would wish to be a Socrates. Chapter 52 The first and most necessary department of philosophy deals with the application of principles. For instance, not to lie. The second deals with demonstrations. For instance, how comes it that one ought not to lie? The third is concerned with establishing and analyzing these processes. For instance, how comes it that this is a demonstration? What is demonstration? What is consequence? What is contradiction? What is true? What is false? It follows then that the third department is necessary because of the second, and the second because of the first. The first is the most necessary part, and that in which we must rest. But we reverse the order. We occupy ourselves with the third, and make that our whole concern, and the first we completely neglect. Wherefore, we lie, but are ready enough with the demonstration that lying is wrong. Chapter 53. On every occasion, we must have these thoughts at hand. Lead me, O Zeus, and lead me, destiny, whither ordained is by your decree. I'll follow, doubting not, or if with will, recreant I falter, I shall follow still. Cleanthes. Who rightly with necessity complies, in things divine we count him skilled and wise. Euripides, fragment 965. Well, Credo, if this be the God's will, so be it. Plato, Credo, 43d. Anitus and Miletus have power to put me to death, but not to harm me. Plato, Apology, 30c. End of chapters 41 through 53. End of The Anchoridian by Epictetus. Translated by Percy Matheson. Recorded by John Peterson.